weeks ago, someone was asking me questions about the benediction. And that got me thinking on things. And so you get the benefit of it. Well, good, but I don't want to tell that. I think I'm one short. Nope. Nope. Wow. I'm dead. <laughs> exactly right. How about that? Okay. I'll start to say I could sacrifice mine if you could. So the benediction. I was going to I was going to show you our bulletin. It's like here it is at the very bottom. Pretty much the last thing we do. Uh, but it accidentally got left out of this week's bulletin. <laughs> we did it anyway, though. So, uh, I have an old one. If you are uh, like me, you grew up in other churches and come from a Presbyterian or a couple other kinds of churches that still do a benediction at the end of the service, you come in and they have this thing and you're a little confused and you don't know what this is exactly going on. I grew up used to, uh, you know, you have a closing prayer. That's how you end the service, a closing prayer. So what is this benediction? What are we doing here? And overall, we're going to get to it here later, what exactly a benediction is. But just in general, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. So we're going to start off this evening. We're going to look at blessing in the Bible and the importance of it. We're going to start in Genesis 27. If someone could read us verses 24 to 34. You know the story well. Isaac is ready to pass on a blessing to Esau. Asks Esau to bring him some of his deer meat that he loves so much. That's the way I always heard it. It was deer. I can agree. Uh, so we're going to not have this whole story. We're just going to skip to the end part of it here. So What verses? 24 to 34. I'll go for it. All right. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father, father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father, and he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. 
As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. So you notice here that this blessing was really important to Isaac and to Jacob and to Esau. And even if we had gone back beforehand, Rebekah was very involved in seeing that her favorite son got this blessing. And once Isaac has pronounced the blessing, Esau comes in and he says, give me a blessing also. They all understood that once this blessing was given, it couldn't be retracted. Isaac wasn't able to just say, oh, you know what? Yeah, he tricked me. I take it all back. I'm going to say the same thing over you. Isaac seems to have believed that something was actually accomplished when he gave this blessing to his sons. And so as Esau is distraught over the loss of this blessing, he's weeping and crying over it. He's give me a blessing also. So Isaac gives him a blessing. It's a different blessing. If we just consider this blessing to just be merely a matter of words, like you might have in a greeting card, you express a, a nice sentiment over someone. Well, then Isaac could certainly have just said the same thing over Esau that he had said over Jacob. Uh, but if there's something more going on beyond just a pleasant sentiment being expressed, then you begin to understand why he can't take it back. He can't give Esau the same blessing that he's given to Jacob because something has really happened here. There's something really important going on in the blessing that's, like I say, beyond just expressing something you, you hope, you wish for good things to happen to your children. Isaac has done something in blessing his son. And the blessing was obviously really important to them. And I think we see this in other places in the Bible. I want to show us this in a few other places here. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And then someone go ahead and get us Genesis 32, 26. I got 32. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make, uh, I'll make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all families of earth shall be blessed. There's a whole lot of blessing going on in this promise God is making to Abram. He's saying he's going to bless Abram. He's going to make Abram a blessing. He's going to bless those that bless him. He's going to curse those that curse him. God is pronouncing a major blessing on Abram and promising that part of this covenant God is going to make with him is going to involve Abram going on to be a blessing and to bless others as well. Uh, and it's one of the most significant events in the Old Testament is God coming to Abraham here and calling him out. And it's all centered around a blessing and Abram being a blessing. Let's see Genesis 32, 26. This is again, this is a really famous story that you know very well. Jacob has been wrestling with what he thinks is a man all night long. And then as 
dawn breaks, the, the wrestling match has got to come to an end. How far? Just 26. Okay. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Will not let you go unless you bless me. I, if I'm wrestling with a man all night, uh, it seems odd that that's what you asked for to, to call an end to this wrestling match. Right? Give me a blessing. Well, if, if all Jacob is asking for is, you know, say some kind words to me and I'll let you go. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Jacob has been wrestling with this man who is the angel of the Lord, and he wants something tangible from him. He hasn't gone to all this trouble with wrestling with this man all night long just to have some kind words spoken over him. He wants a blessing. He expects that whatever this man says over him is going to happen. So that's why he's asking for it. All right, one more. Genesis 48, verses 16 through 20. Genesis 48, 16 to 20. And you can see all of these examples I'm giving here are from Genesis. We could find other examples, but it's a really uh, important theme throughout Genesis is... This blessing being passed on from one to another. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father. Since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a great people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. All the way down to, where am I going? 20. Okay. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will... By you, Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. So Isaac has finally been reunited with Joseph in Egypt, and Isaac is now nearing the end of his life, and he calls Joseph in, and he's going to bless Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so he puts his hands on them, but he switches them over, and he's giving the greater blessing to the younger, Instead of the older one, Joseph's like, no, 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 Dad, you're, you're blind now. Let me fix this for you. And Jacob says, I know what I'm doing. Or Isaac says, I, or Jacob says, I know what I'm doing. Getting them mixed up, aren't I? Like when I, like when I said we were going to read from John this morning. And then said, I don't recall. But Joseph is. I do remember that. Dan, and Joseph Dan, is. But what Jacob is doing here in, in giving him a blessing is he's told Joseph he is basically adopting him as his own sons. He's taking them in as his own sons. And so he's giving them the blessing. It would be his youngest sons as they were born after Benjamin 
Benjamin. But he's giving them a blessing. And not only that, but he's saying, by them, Israel will pronounce blessings. So when Israel, the nation, is going to pronounce a blessing on people, they'll say, may God make you like Manasseh and Ephraim. It should be, make you prosperous and large and, and blessed. And so he put Ephraim before Manasseh in doing this. This blessing was very important to them. And again, it was obviously something that uh, everyone involved expected the blessing would come to pass. They didn't expect that this was just a sentiment being expressed, but that this was the word of a prophet being spoken over his people. And so he was conferring a blessing to his people. It was obviously a really important thing uh, among the patriarchs and all through the Old Testament is how this blessing is conveyed. So when we talk about blessing, I think that we have a tendency to run over into one of two possible errors. And the first one is I think we have a, a problem with possibly overreacting to the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is taking, taken verses about God's material blessing to his people and God blessing his people. And they have abused it so badly. And made the entire gospel, everything about serving God is just so you can get some blessing on your life. He's going to make you rich and healthy and happy and everything's going to go great for you. And they have abused all the blessings in the Bible to such a degree that I think maybe we have a slight tendency to just kind of push back on that so much that we don't want to have anything to do with anything in blessing in the Bible. Yeah. Where did the prosperity gospel? I know it's kind of possible, a lot of it. But where did it come from? Where did this genesis of this idea come from? I'm going to guess Benny, because I blame everything on him. <laughs> no, it was around a little longer. Uh, more like the, the, what was it, the uh, Azula? Azusa. Azusa. Zeus Street Revival. I think it's trying to paint from that. What was that, about 1906? Yeah, it was the early 1900s. Uh-huh. Yeah. Was that the guy that had, was the former slave that yeah. went in and predicted an earthquake or something? Did something hit San Francisco and had yeah. a fire and all that? That's real hard, predicting earthquakes in San Francisco. Or he, <laughs> <laughs> or he had he had said that there would be a he was in Los Angeles and predicted if there wasn't a turning back there would be a great disaster and then a year later you have San Francisco fire and earthquake yeah. like you said that's hard to predict right but, but I think that maybe we have this tendency to look at how badly blessing in the Bible has been abused and to just distance ourselves from it entirely. We're not here, we're not serving God because we're looking to get a blessing, right? We're not here because we want all kinds of material goods, and wealth and things like that. We're serving God because we love God. He saved us. And so we just go completely deaf to all the verses in the Bible about God blessing his people. So I want to point out several verses here that talk about God blessing his people. All right, so we're going to have another Bible drill here. And this, most of these are going to come from Psalms. So we got Psalms 1-1, Psalms 5-12, Psalms 
Psalms 29.11. We'll stop there for a minute. All right. I'm pretty sure I can quote that one. You should be able to quote Psalm 1.1, I think. (laughs) I can quote 29.11. Blessed (laughs) is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Blessed is the man. Right? And if we went through the whole chapter, it's talking about everything he does will prosper. Whoa. That's, that's a lot. Right? Blessed is the man. All right. 512. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. You bless the righteous and cover him with favor as with a shield. So favor is God's favor. It's favor with other people. You're going to cover him with favor as with a shield. Quite a promise that we have here. Psalm 29:11. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Gives strength to his people, blesses his people. Blessing after blessing after blessing. Psalm 67, 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. It's a prayer request that obviously the psalmist, in this case uh, the choir master, uh, expects God is going to grant. God is going to be gracious to us and bless us. All right, but it's not just psalms. This isn't all just poetic talk about blessing. Let's go to Acts 3.26. Yeah. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first. To bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Well, there's a blessing we can all agree on, right? God has blessed us by turning us from wickedness. That's a huge blessing. That's, that's our greatest blessing. And then one more, Hebrews 6.14. promise we're going to slow down the sword drill after this. <laughs> I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. God's blessing. Yes, yes. So here in Hebrews, he's, he's re-telling uh, about the blessing God gave to Abraham. He's bringing that forward and saying it's for us as well. And as God blessed Abraham, bless us as well. Should have one more verse there probably. So, God has, all through his, his word, promised to bless his people. And he's promised them all kinds of blessings that, if, if we look at them, we say, that is, that is just beyond our imagination, how God has promised to bless us. He's going to make what we do prosper. He's going to give us favor. He's blessed us with turning us away from wickedness. He's given us the blessings of Abraham. We've been adopted into... Abraham's children, 
All of his blessings are going to be our blessing. We're going to have blessing and blessing and blessing. Now, the first thing you probably want to do if you're overreacting against the prosperity gospel is to think, well, yeah, but we know that doesn't always happen, right? There are Christians suffering around the world who are being persecuted for their faith. There's poor Christians around the world who barely have enough to live on or who are even going hungry around the world. And we know this. We know God doesn't always give us material prosperity here in this world. But over and over throughout the Bible, he has promised us blessing. And he's faithful. He keeps his promises so that when we get to heaven, we're going to look back and we're going to say, yes, God kept every one of his promises. When he promised to bless me, I was blessed. And I am satisfied that God kept his promises to me. And we can look at every one of these blessings and say, God has said this to me. I can believe in this. I can pray for it. I can ask for this blessing because God has really promised it to me. And it's really there. I know it's abused by some in our world, places that call themselves churches, but God really has promised to bless his people in lots of different ways. All right, the second error that I think that we might be prone to is what I'm calling here the Swinglian worship service. All right? It's not fair to Zwingli because he didn't believe in this, all right? But I'm using him because maybe you've heard of the Zwinglian view on the Lord's Supper, all right? Because we talked about this a while back when Daryl was going through systematic theology. We understand the Catholic view of the Lord's Supper, right, is that when they say, hocus pocus, that, it, that, that bread and that wine turns into flesh and blood. Reformers come along, no, that's not right. Luther comes along and says, no, it doesn't really turn into flesh and blood, but Christ is over and under and around it and everywhere, and it's, it's really there, but it, it doesn't really get turned into flesh and blood. And Zwingli came along, and he said, no, what really happens is uh, we, it's just a memorial. When we take the Lord's Supper, nothing happens, <coughs> really. It's just we are remembering the Lord's Supper and what he did. And what Calvin said, what the Orthodox tradition came along and, and said, you know, this is what we believe happens, is stated clearly in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 96. What is the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is a sacrament. Wherein, by giving and receiving bread and wine, according to Christ's appointment, his death is shown forth. And the worthy receivers are, not after a corporal and carnal manner, but by faith, made partakers of his body and blood, with all its benefits to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. So, what the Westminster Divine said, what Calvin said, is that something really happens suffer. We're not just remembering what Christ did, but we are actually granted grace. Uh, we have spiritual nourishment. We get all of the benefits of Christ's body and blood communicated to us in the Lord's Supper. Something really takes place. And what Zwingli was saying is nothing really happens in the 
Lord's Supper. We're just remembering it. It's a memorial. We're just honoring Christ's sacrifice. So the error I think we might be prone to is that when we say we're going to have a benediction at the end, we're going to have a worship service, everything in our worship service is really nothing is taking place, but we're just remembering God, we're thinking about God, we're singing together, and when we get to the benediction, we're just saying some words, but nothing is really happening. Whereas all throughout Scripture, what we see is when the blessing is given, it isn't just an expression, but something really happens in the giving of the blessing. I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 10, 16, kind of prove how this takes place. And this is given for the Lord's Supper. And I think it has to do with all of our worship as well. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So he's saying we participate in the body and blood of Christ when we take the cup, when we take the bread. Something real is happening. God is really, by his spirit, communicating grace to our souls in the Lord's Supper. And in the same way, when we have the benediction, when a blessing is spoken over God's people at the end of the service, we would say something really happens. It isn't just an expression, but God is really doing something. Let's look also at number 6, verses 22 to 27. What is really happening? Number six. Number six. <laughs> Which verses? Uh, 22 to 27. Need a reader? Go ahead, yeah. The Lord spoke to Moses <laughs> saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, and you shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. So we had all through Exodus, the latter part of Exodus talking about how to build God's tabernacle. Leviticus, we were given all these laws, especially about worship and sacrifices. Numbers, we've started off, here's some more laws, here's how you're supposed to live. And here we're given instruction on giving a blessing. The blessing is obviously important to God as well as we've seen all through Genesis. And God tells Moses, say to Aaron, who's the high priest and his sons, you shall bless the people of Israel. This is a command. This is what the priest is supposed to do. When you come together to worship, you shall bless the people of Israel. This was a command. We, our worship services, we believe are governed by principles like this. That we only do in worship what God has commanded us to do. And God here has commanded the high priest, his sons, moving on to the New Testament, pastors, elders in the church, to bless his people. 
This is where we get the idea that we should bless people in worship. And the blessing he gives them is, the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you peace. And is this merely a sentiment? Is it merely words that are going to be spoken over them? God says, they shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. God says, when you do this, the way I've commanded you to do it, you will put my name on my people, and I will bless them. So God is saying, I'm going to do something. When you bless my people in this way, as I've commanded, I will bless them. Something real is going to happen. So what is a benediction? The English word means the bestowal of a blessing, especially at the end of a religious service. So part of this is really important. It is the bestowal of a blessing. It is not a prayer. You'll notice uh, in the Aaron's blessing here in Numbers, um, it is not a prayer. He is not saying, God bless his people. God make your face shine upon them. He is speaking to the people of Israel and not to God. This is a bestowal of a blessing. It is not a prayer for a blessing from God. Aaron was to speak to the people. So this is one of the things, right? This is the question I was asked last week. What am I supposed to do here in the benediction? Do I bow my head? Do I look up? Where am I, what, what is going on here? What am I supposed to be doing? You should be looking up because this is not a prayer. This is you are being given a blessing. You have done what you were supposed to do. You have come to the worship service. You have partaken in the ordinary means of grace and the word and once a month the sacraments or if we have a baptism in the middle of a month or something like that, you have come together to worship God and at the end of the worship service, God has seen fit to give you a blessing for being there. And that blessing is to carry you through the whole week and God has said, I will bless them when you do this. And so this isn't something that's spoken to God. It's spoken to you. And since it's spoken to you, we're not bowing our heads at that moment. Which brings into question then posture, right? Huh. Bow our heads or looking up. This is posture. And there's lots of examples of posture in the Bible, uh, whether we're kneeling in prayer or standing in prayer. When Jesus ascended to the Father, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. That sitting down says something, right? The fact that he's sitting means the work is finished. He is done. And when we bow our heads in prayer, we're showing submission and respect. People in the Bible, it was commanded in uh, the New Testament, we lift up holy hands in worship, right? And you lift up holy hands, you're... You're praising, you're submitting, you're praising. Posture in the Bible matters, and it matters to us, right? Um, science has shown this. Everybody, we're going to do an experiment right now, okay? I want you to put on your biggest, cheesiest grin right now. Just really smile, 
right? You can't even do it without feeling a little happier, right? It's just natural. Your emotions, your mind, your thinking follows your posture. It follows the things that you do. When you bow before someone, you're naturally feeling subservient to that person. You don't feel like you are in command when you're bowing before a person. If you're standing over someone who's bowing, you feel more in command than the person who is bowing. Our posture matters. God has designed us to be complete human beings, soul and body. And what we do in the flesh matters in our soul. And so we have a posture that we adopt. And we get this from different parts of the Bible. But so when the pastor is pronouncing the benediction, he's spreading his hands over the people. And he's doing that because, once again, we're not talking to God, but it's going to the people. It's being given to the people. And this is why you'll see some people in the congregation have their hands out as though they are receiving something. That is the posture of receiving a benediction. None of this is required, right? You can still give a benediction without holding your hands out. You will still receive a blessing even if you do not hold your hands out to receive the blessing, right? You're not going to catch it in your hands like butterflies, right? But the posture tells you something to yourself, right? It says, I am receiving something. When you hold your hands out like this, you just feel like, okay, I'm receiving something. And it's useful because we're people and we have a hard time grasping the things of God very well. And every little advantage we can give ourselves to understand what's happening to us, the better off we are, right? That's why I close my eyes when I pray, because I'm easily distracted. <laughs> I want every advantage I can to help push out the distractions of this world. In the same way, when blessing is given, I want to catch it. Because I've been convinced that something real is happening. God really is giving me a blessing, and I want it. I want all of it I can get. So that's why. You see people out there doing this? And you're like, I don't understand. Why are they doing that? Well, now you know. Now you know. Anyone have any questions or anything? No question. Paul, when you see the epistles, um, Paul ends the epistles with the benediction. Yes. Um, the author of Hebrews ends the, which is probably a first century sermon. Um, and he ends it with a benediction. That's just, you know, so we're following biblical examples. Right. Is benediction only done in a worship service? I would say so. So you would the, say that... Something specifically called a benediction would be the close of the worship service. So I couldn't, I couldn't just go up to Barbara and tell her the passage from Numbers. Can? <laughs> would you have any assurance at that moment then that something that God is definitely speaking those words over Barbara? Why would I not? Uh, they, they are God's word. They are true, but not every verse in Scripture is true at every moment, right? So if I were to say Psalm 
2911 to someone, they could bat that down as well. Like, that's not prescriptive. That's not, it's not commanded that he will give you strength and he will give you peace. That's why the Baptist church would just say a prayer as the preacher's leaving. Sing a song and leave. I'm not trying to throw I'm not trying to throw you curveballs. I I want I'm there curious, is, I'm seriously asking. Well there there is always if if you're reading scripture to someone, the scripture is always true. Right? But is the scripture always true at that moment for someone? So if I read like Jeremiah 29, 11, right? Why could it not? Um, I know the plans that I have for you to give you hope and a future and all that, right? It's totally is used out of context. Is that true for me at this moment, right? Well, he does say, have. Yes, because it's true overall. Yes, yes, overall. But at this moment, is it true that that is what God is saying to me right now? So that's not always the case. Like we have, you can't just take any scripture and no. say this applies to me right here at this moment. No. Where, you know, it, it, the verse where God is going to give uh, Solomon all this wisdom and you say, okay, that's for me right now. That's not the no. context. And the no. context of the blessing in number six is at the end of a worship service. Whereas... Gerald's pointing out the examples that we have in the New Testament are at the end of an epistle, which would have been read in the worship service, at the end of Hebrews, which is likely a sermon, would have concluded the worship service. You could put it this way. If you wish to read 23rd Psalm to a sinner, a non-saved person, that would mean that to them. Mm -hmm. If you're that uh, saved person, it would mean quite a bit. So that's a, an example of sometimes the scripture means something to somebody and sometimes it don't. Right. God's witness to a lost person, I wouldn't want to use 23rd Psalms to try to win him to Christ. Well, it could be in a particular situation, but yeah. But, yeah. but I think what he's, what he's saying is right here, certain promises of believers are given, just follow promises believers are given someone's there we know is not a believer we should not give them those promises mm -hmm. you know, this is this is for you right know that they're not a believer the promises for them are quite good so. but if i'm reading 29 psalm 29 11 to a believer yeah i think you can encourage them with it and certainly we should say these these are blessings that, that god is giving us but in the same context of the, the blessing from the, from the, the, the promises and the truth in his word. So you're not going to raise your hands over Barbara and say, Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, I might. I'm, <laughs> I'm crazy. She knows that. I'm just kidding. No, I mean, but like. Hey, she might. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a good example that would illustrate. I'm just, it, but I mean, I'm just. How how are we to encourage one another if we can't use stuff like that? That's like specifically for a worship service. 
No, I just can encourage one another with it. But in, in the same lot, as far as actually doing the announcement, we don't, we, you, we should be encouraged in sacraments. No, because I'm a pa not a pastor or an elder. Well, so that's probably the so same thing with the benediction. Right. But you need to be ordained. Even as a pastor oh. or an elder, you don't have the right to do that outside of the church. See, I can't go home and offer Sam bread and wine as sacraments. Oh, what? Yeah. Because it's because, <laughs> but you can still encourage yeah. Barbara with. The sacraments. You can say, remember, you took the Lord's Supper. And these are the benefits that are communicated to you in the Lord's Supper. You can go to her and read her number six and say, these are the blessings God has promised you. You, you were in a, You should definitely do that. <laughs> well, we want, we're, we're saying that we want God's blessing on their life. But if, if I say, God bless you, I don't have any actual power to make that come to pass if God isn't going to bless you. Whereas I, what I would believe is if you have by faith participated in the worship service as ordained by God, that, that you can say with certainty, God will bless you for that. And that is the blessing, the benediction at the end is saying... If you have been here by faith participating in this worship, God is promising you a blessing. A real blessing. Not just a wish or a hope, you know, like saying God bless you. But God is promising he is going to bless you for it. Yeah. Participation in the ordinary means of grace is um, yes. how we grow. Now what will that look like? Will that mean I'm going to win the lottery this week? It's not likely. Will it mean that all of my needs will be provided? That is pretty likely. Will it mean that I will have more grace throughout the week to grow in my sanctification, grow in my walk with God? Absolutely, that will be a blessing I get. Even if it comes by way of someone who would really like to smack in the nose? Even then. All right. So that's the benediction. So when we get to the end of the service next Sunday, you think on that, you'd be like, God is blessing me. God is giving me a blessing right now for having been here. And that'll make you want to come to church again the next Sunday. Say, I got to go get my blessing. I don't want to miss that. You don't want to run out, you know, five minutes before the pastor <laughs> quits preaching because you don't want to miss your blessing at the end. That's why we wait till the end to give that to you. <laughs> so you don't leave to hit up the restaurant before the rush on Sunday morning. <laughs> All right, well, let's pray and be dismissed.